It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Today, I'm going to start out with something we all do, grocery shopping. I recently did a study in my TV work. I have some tips for you to save big bucks. I also have a very important warning for you to heed before you send out any holiday cards or other items with the Postal Service. So I recently, on the network of TV stations that air my TV stuff, I recently did a um, television special, and one of the areas I concentrated on was grocery prices. And we went out and we really shopped and, and saw what things cost. And it's not hype that groceries are cheaper at Walmart. They really are. It's not hype that they are much cheaper than Walmart if you go to Aldi or if you live in a part of the country that has Lidl. Now, I just named three stores that a lot of people are really polarized about and may not like the experience of shopping in Walmart, shopping at Aldi, shopping at Lidl. But there's another store that is kind of a, it's way past a cult in the United States because we got tens of millions of people that are members of it. It's Costco. And by the way, this information about Costco would also trend very closely at Sam's Club or at the regional warehouse club, BJ's Wholesale Club. So the crazy thing, according to a study done by CNET, is that a traditional supermarket is, get this, going to a traditional, which are usually regionals, the only national would be Kroger, that a traditional supermarket is over 50% more expensive like item to like item, if you can match them up because the selection is a lot less at Costco and Sam's Club, there's more selection at BJ's Wholesale, but they were doing Costco compared to traditional. You pay more than 50% more on average per unit of food item you buy, however it's measured, ounces, whatever, you pay more than 50% more at a traditional supermarket than you do at Costco. I mean, think about that. You know, during the high inflationary cycle we've been in, a lot of people who turn their noses up at shopping at Costco for groceries, even if they were Costco members, have been buying groceries like maniacs at Costco. And I can't imagine it's different at Sam's Club or BJ's Wholesale. That People in the past may have said, yeah, their grocery prices may be better, but look at the quantities you have to buy and all that. And I don't want to go there and have to deal with the huge parking lot and all the crowds and buy the groceries, blah, blah, blah. But you run prices up on people and suddenly, well, they're a little more motivated to go to the warehouse club and grocery shop. As part of the TV special I did, we went around and looked and a lot of the items, and I wish we had put exact math to this, but a meaningful number of the items were in quantities that were small enough in grocery 
for a single individual or a couple to buy, which is one of the big objections I hear is, well, it's just me or it's just us. You know, we don't have a household full of kids. How could I buy there? Because you have to buy a lifetime supply. So one thing, a number of the items were sold in small enough units that you're fine buying them even as an individual or a couple. Second thing, we went through several aisles and looked at the pull date, the best buy date or use by date on items. And over and over again, there were items that I would call, I'd put in the category of semi-perishable. So even if you shop at one of the warehouse clubs and you think, well, I can't buy that because look how much you have to buy. If the item has a two-year or three-year shelf life, odds are you can use up that quantity in two or three years. So if you're really bummed by how much more, even as inflation curves, the curve bends down, groceries aren't suddenly going to go way down in price like cars are gonna, electronics have, computers have, clothing has. You're not going to see that with groceries. There are reasons inherent in the grocery business that the inflation that's there, you'll have individual items that may go way back down in price, but the overall cost of groceries is now at a higher level. So using strategies to save, even going forward, even if grocery prices do fully level off overall, it's more of your budget going to them. So doing these things that will lower those prices absolutely worth it. As for shopping at Costco, Sam's, and BJ's Wholesale, unless you don't like yourself, stay out of a warehouse club on Saturday and Sunday. Do your grocery shopping or other shopping early in the week and know that when we get to January, you could take a cannon and fire it off early week in a warehouse club and you won't hit anybody at all because the shoppers evaporate when January comes around. Krista? This is from Madison in Ohio. I recently graduated from physical therapy school and have a student loan worth about a one-year salary. I was also educated by my parents to invest and start my retirement as soon as possible. I was wondering if I should focus on paying my loans off or invest part of my salary. What would be a happy median so I could do both? So at the place you've gone to work, if they have any match of the retirement funds, that is higher priority. You put money in that before you worry so much about anything other than just servicing the student loan debt. That has to come first. All right. Uh, Second, with the student loan debt, the portion you have that is at Uh, hopefully taken out at times that the rate set for the life of the loan is low because we went through several years that student loan interest rates from federal sources were fixed at very low rates. Those, you only pay the minimums required servicing those. Third thing, any loans you have that are variable rates, they are a very high priority, particularly with interest rates rising. Any private student loans, very high priority. So you don't look at this as an either or. It is a series of decision trees, with the first being the retirement plan at work is ultra important if there's a match. Second, I didn't talk about, 
if as a physical therapist, what you're going to do, the facility you're going to do it in, does your work qualify you for the pre-existing, forget all the court battles and all that, the already existing public service work loan forgiveness? If you qualify based on where you're working, any loans that will be forgiven after 120 months, you want to pay the minimum on those as a factor. So as you can see, this is not one that has, okay, automatically do this, automatically do that. It really is a series of questions you've got to answer. And one of the primary things is floating rate loans, really bad, pay on those. Fixed rate loans that are low, pay the minimums on those. Loans that are federally guaranteed that are eligible, if you are, for the 10-year federal loan forgiveness, those you pay only the minimums on. And you'll come up with those decisions, you'll come up with the priorities of where each dollar you're making that you can afford to spend on your loans or on saving for the future, investing for the future, you'll be able to figure out where that next dollar should go. From Robin, Connecticut, my son is going to Italy to study abroad for four months. What's the best cell phone plan for him? We have Verizon and we are upgrading his phone for Christmas. Should I go to a different carrier? We are iPhone users. So immediately you dump Verizon and you run to T-Mobile. This isn't even gray. The international plans with T-Mobile are vastly superior to what you get with AT&T or Verizon. With T-Mobile traveling overseas and particularly look with a multi-month stay at using Magenta Max as your plan, which is the most expensive plan with T-Mobile. But with it, you get high-speed data in almost every country in the world. You get unlimited texting. And with iPhones, you'd had unlimited free FaceTime. Now, the problem is, if T-Mobile decides that you pulled one on them, you'll get a nasty gram message from them that we do not provide service to people permanently residing overseas. And by a certain date, we're going to cut you off, not everybody, but just your son. So he can be over there for a while in Europe, in Italy, before that nasty gram is going to pop up. But the big advantage he'll have, he may not trip their annoyance meter because so much of the time in Europe, he's going to have access to Wi-Fi. Anywhere he can do his stuff on the cell phone over Wi-Fi is not going to upset T-Mobile, and that'll work out great. But the thing that's different is AT&T and Verizon charge you a king's ransom. I mean, your son's not trying to buy Italy, but you think he would have to with what AT&T and Verizon charge for using your phone overseas. T-Mobile, it just comes baked into the plan. By the way, if your son ever does something terrible, like actually make a traditional phone call, which no college student ever does, but if he ever does, that's 25 cents a minute on the T-Mobile plan outside the United States. 
Keith in New York says, hi, Clark, I think you should recommend guarantee replacement cost coverage for homeowners policies. That is the best coverage you can have. You can't beat a guaranteed policy. So, uh, Keith, you aren't just a little correct. You are completely correct. If the premiums don't boost exorbitantly, this is essential. Here's why. Okay, Krista, you have been through a serious homeowner's claim. Mm -hmm. And you know what the insurer does is they say, oh, well, that's two years old, so we say it's now worth 10% of what you paid for it. And they do all this craziness where they treat you like you're the enemy trying to cheat the insurance company. So on the other hand, if you have replacement value coverage, the argument's over. Whatever you lost, you're not paying the depreciated amount to replace it. Insurance is supposed to make you whole. And if you have replacement value coverage, you don't age yourself and waste so much time arguing about what this should be worth or that. Whatever it costs to replace it with a like item today is what you have. And so know that what you have just said is absolutely great advice, Keith. And I thank you so much for mentioning something that I don't think has come up in the last two years. So good for you. And coming up ahead, we got to talk about a problem the Postal Service wants to make sure you are fully aware of to protect yourself this Christmas shopping season and beyond. Postal Service has put out a warning. There have been a number of news stories about this even before the Postal Service put out a warning. Criminals are breaking into those blue boxes that used to be everywhere, but now there aren't as many. And they steal the mail out of the blue boxes. And then they go through the items. And one of the principal things they're looking for and this is something a lot of people will do at Christmas time, is they're looking for checks. Maybe you're sending a check to a loved one as a gift at Christmas, or you're paying a bill and you're enclosing a paper check. Longtime crime updated to today is criminals will go through, find the checks, and remember, nobody knows what mail was in that box when it was broken into. So you're none the wiser. You paid the bill to your credit card company. You sent the check to your nephew or niece or whatever. And you think everything's hunky-dory. But then the criminal does what's called washing the check, puts a new payee on it, a new amount. It's got your signature on it. And then they pass that check and you got a problem. In a worst case, they have those checks printed through one of those check printing services, and they've got a box of your checks. They can have a field day writing. It's an ugly, ugly crime. What do you do about this? One, the Postal Service, in its own alert about this, says that if you are mailing something with a check, a bill payment, anything like that, Don't use the outside blue mailboxes. Go inside a post office and drop in their secure box. And, you know, the slot where you drop the letter or payment or whatever, 
that that will provide additional protection. What I prefer with any bill payment, though, is your bank or credit union, almost certainly you use a brokerage account, uh, they will provide free bill pay. I don't know anybody who charges for bill pay anymore. So you can pay checks, and most of them that you're paying for a business, most will go electronically. So there is no check for a criminal to intercept. Now, as posters have pointed out, and we had a Clark Stinks about it, that I have to mention that if you're paying a particularly small business, they may not be set up to receive payments electronically, and you may face the same danger that the bill pay service prints out a check and mails it just like we're talking about right now. But the good news is usually they're not dropping that mail at a blue box. They are going to a postal center and dropping off in bulk the payments they're sending out. So they're less likely to be intercepted. And one thing you should never, 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 ever do is carry a checkbook on your person. Let me repeat, this is a never, 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 not ever rule. You do not carry a checkbook. The reason is, is if somebody steals your checkbook or a woman you have your purse stolen and they get your checkbook, then that criminal has those checks, can write them as if they're you, and then you say, oh, man, I need to shut down this account, and then you shut it down. The criminal's still passing out those bad checks, and then guess who a warrant is sworn out for whose arrest? Yours. You were a victim of a crime, and you can end up in jail. Now, Krista, you can share when you and I did this, when I used to have one of the cable shows I had, and you and I went to a prison, mm-hmm. and we were in the prison, and we were there because an average of, uh, it was actually a county jail, two people a week in that county were falsely being arrested mm-hmm. because businesses had sworn out warrants for their arrests because they'd been a victim of having their checks stolen and warrants were sworn out for them because the merchant didn't know they weren't the writer of the bad check and they were ending up in jail and then they were having to get a criminal defense lawyer. They had a criminal record then and it was so disruptive to their lives. Uh, we found lots of people who were losing their jobs. Yep. But you will remember forever our time in Supermax in yeah. that. That was interesting. That was interesting. And it was at least two a week, they said, like often more. And people could spend like three or four days in jail before it straightened out. It was just scary. Well, not straightened out, just getting bailed out. Well, yeah. Then they'd have to straighten it out. So have we scared you enough? Do you want to end up in jail? No, you don't. So that's why you don't carry a checkbook. Krista? This question is from Jeff in Minnesota. Hi, Clark. I received a letter from my credit card company stating my account is going to be up for review in January. It says because I'm constantly using less than my available credit, which is $10,000, and I usually only put two or $300 on each month and pay it off, they may decrease my credit limit because of this. <sighs> it does say to call a number if I don't want this review and anticipate spending more on this card. I don't anticipate more. However, I don't want this decrease to affect my credit score. Should I call and tell them not to review it and hopefully they don't decrease my limit? 
I'm confused. We've worked really hard the past few years to get credit scores above 750. So Jeff, isn't it wild? So, all right, credit card companies are worried about a recession coming. So they're doing these reviews of credit limits because they don't want exposure. And they're particularly targeting people who charge very low volumes each month because right now you have a risk profile with a credit card company that's tiny. But on the other hand, you lose your job and you might start financing your life with the credit card. And so then they're thinking, wow, this person seems to handle two, three hundred a month just fine, but they got ten thousand dollars hanging out there with us. Suddenly they could run up a ten thousand dollar bill and default on us, which is what happened so heavily in the Great Recession. So the credit card companies, the big banks that control most credit cards issued in the country, are generals fighting the last war. No matter what happens, we're not going to have anything like the Great Recession. Put that out of your mind. And bankers, put that out of your mind. In your circumstance, Jeff, I would do two things. One, I'd use the option they offered you to ask not to be subject to review. And second, not take seriously that they're really going to listen to you and try to what you're charging on other cards for a while, charge it on this card, charge more on it, still pay the balance in full, but raise at least for a while what you're charging on it. So they're not worried about you defaulting out on the bigger credit line because it really hurts your credit score if they lower that credit limit because that accounts for almost a third of what makes up your credit score. Michael in Tennessee says, Clark, you stress not giving out a social security number on paperwork, like at a healthcare facility, when possible. If I have credit freezes at all credit agencies, am I generally protected from someone stealing my identity or what are the risks I should still be concerned about? Love the show. My wife rolls her eyes when I say Clark says, or guess what Clark said today? (laughs) Michael, tell your wife Clark says she's a fantastic person and you're so lucky to have her. So see what she says when you say that. Okay. Second thing, you don't want your social security number hanging out all over the place because it can be used for other things besides just applying for credit, which we heard about recently on the podcast. So I want to tell you, you want to be careful and whoever's asking for it has to have a good legitimate business reason. Medical facilities account for half of all identity theft in the United States because their efforts are going into making people better and saving their lives. And they're horrible at back office accounting and all that. Their systems are ridiculously vulnerable and they're not doing anything that I can see to make it better. So medical, the only reason they want your social security number is to come after you for debt that you might accrue with medical. That is not, in my opinion, a legitimate business reason. Don't give it. What is a legitimate business reason? Well, you're applying for credit. Obviously, that would be. Um, There are requirements the government may have about verifying identity and businesses default to social security number for that. This would be like in banking or something like that. And so those are circumstances we're giving it would make rational sense. Just use, step back from the situation, and use your rational mind and say, what is the reason they would want my social security number? You can't come up with a valid reason, even if your credit's frozen, 
don't give it. And Juanita in Georgia says, I did a balance transfer from one bank credit card to another bank credit card, and the new balance has not posted to my statement, although the balance was paid on on the from account. Am I obligated to tell the bank that they made a mistake? So Juanita, normally this will, will come up later. There's no requirement that they do so by a certain time, and then you're free of the obligation that you would have. And it really is the right thing for you to do to go ahead and tell them and make sure you take notes that you've told them, hey, you never posted this on my account. And once you've said that, then it's up to them to do the right thing. But make sure you have the money to deal with it because odds are, even if they're sloppy at the bank, they don't get around to it. Eventually they will. You don't want to be caught short without having the money to meet that obligation. And truthfully, it's ill-gotten gains to you knowing that that you have this obligation and the bank has made a clerical error. And I want to thank you so much for being with us for this episode. If you have the means, I hope you'll help us out in buying Christmas gifts for foster children The kids we do this for are in the state of Georgia. The state of Georgia has a foster child gift collection program that we run. So that's why wherever you are in the country, and we got money from people in all 50 states, the money does go to buy gifts for children in foster care in the state of Georgia. My hope, every child everywhere in this great land who is unfortunately not with their parents this Christmas season, and is in foster care, generally the kids do not get gifts otherwise. I wish that this was available in every state, that there were efforts like what we've been able to do for 32 years with Clark's Christmas Kids. And if you find a local effort you'd rather help, help them. But if you can't find that, I'd love to have your contribution to see that every foster child in the state of Georgia has gifts Christmas morning because of your generosity. Just go to ClarksChristmasKids.com to make it happen. And have a great day. 